This morning, we're going to look at one of the more famous passages in the Bible. And the reason we're going to do that is I want to answer this question. I know that I've asked this. I know, uh, I think most people do at some point in their lives, ask the question, um, what does God want from me? What does God expect from me? And I know, especially when we're struggling to understand him. And a lot of times, maybe when we're younger, there's that sense of, I just wish, you know, I keep getting beat up and I wish I could just figure out what the right thing is to do. So God would make things go smooth for me, you know, like that. And so, and, and sometimes that's how we think about it, but I thought it's an important question and uh, to look at is what does God expect from us? What does he want from us? Because uh, how can we know we're living right? We're doing what God wants of us if we don't know what that is. You know what I mean? And so it is an important question. We might hear all kinds of messages and voices. We take uh, this Bible, which is pretty long. There's a lot of books in here and there's a lot of pages. And, uh, you know, probably not many of us have read through the whole thing. And so we can get a little confused. Man, I wish somebody would just simplify it for me. And then, hey, you're in luck. I'm a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. And this morning we're going to look at a famous passage in the Bible that does something that I appreciate when I find these passages. It simplifies and condenses and kind of puts into a, something you can really memorize what God is trying to say to us. And the Bible has some of these in it. You know, you've maybe heard of the great commandment, right? The great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I can remember that. Obviously, I can memorize it. So can you. We can carry that with us. And that's so helpful. There's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Or, excuse me, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? We can remember those things. And I love those, uh, those portions of scripture where I can do that and where it is so helpful to me. And so I wanted to, um, to give us, give you as a church one of those this week. And uh, it's found in the book of Micah and it's chapter six, verse eight. Micah 6, verse 8. It is a very famous passage. You may have heard of it before. You probably have. Maybe you've heard a sermon preached on Micah 6, 8. But uh, so, so important because it helps distill for us. Uh, the, the passage or the context, excuse me, of the book of Micah is that Micah was a prophet of God. And he was sent by God to the nation Israel to present a message that was difficult. See, during uh, Micah's time and really before him, the nation of Israel began to wander away from God. They were not following God. They weren't honoring God. And as a consequence, they had begun to treat each other poorly as well. You know, a lot of times when our relationship with God isn't right, it affects our relationship with other people, right? And we start to handle people poorly because we're not connected to God like we should be. At least that's the way it is in my life. And so... Um, and so the book of Micah is that Micah, the prophet, is sent to bring a, a, a kind of a hard message, a message of correction to these people. And so, um, and it's important because they needed to course correct and they needed to come uh, to a right spot. And so if you have your Bible, um, would you go ahead and grab that, turn to it, some of you already have. You know, uh, here at this church, um, the team here does an incredible job and they've put together, um, there's a Bible app, right, for your phone. You guys probably know that. It's called Version. If you just look it up in your app store, you'll find it. It's free. You download it. Then you can look up events in there and you can find Mitchell Church on a Sunday morning or Saturday night and you can actually download the, uh, the sermon notes or an outline, right, and take notes and follow along in the scripture. So anyway, um, probably, hopefully you're in one of those two spots by now. So let's read this passage together. Micah 6, verse 8, or this verse together. 
This is what it says. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, um, though the context of Micah is the nation of Israel living in rebellion, I'm not saying this morning that I sense that Mitchell Breen Church is living in rebellion. Okay, that's not why I'm bringing this passage or why I thought of it. Really, the reason is that we live in a culture that wars against the message of Micah 6.8. We live in a culture that probably from the time you were born, I know that's the way it's been for me, I've heard the message of, hey, you need to look out for number one. You need to make sure that you get what's coming to you because no one else is gonna, right? And so we hear these messages and they begin to build up in us. Now listen, uh, it's important that we, you know, we're gonna have to fight to take care of our families. We know that. We're gonna have to fight to provide. But it's a, it's a fine line between fighting to provide and trying to provide for our families and get what we need to take care of them and then allowing that mindset, this mindset in our culture to take over our natures and our character to the point that we start to just think it's all about us. And we start to think, hey man, I need, what, uh, I need more. <laughs> I need what's coming to me at the expense and the detriment of others, oftentimes. So we got to be careful of that. Because this mindset and attitude, which grows in our culture, I mean, we have social media, which feeds it, right? Uh, you know, we joke about selfies and all this stuff. It's all about me. And it, we're just told that, man. All the marketing says you deserve, you deserve, you should have. And so it's very difficult for those of us that are following God to live in this culture and not get that message pounded into our heads and begin to believe it. And so, um, and so this passage speaks to what God really wants us to do. And so I knew that it would speak to all of us. We don't want to allow that cancer to infiltrate our souls and our hearts to the point where we become changed and transformed to look more like the world rather than looking like God. See, we've been called apart. We've been called out of the world to be different. We need to be change makers in this world. We need to show people who God is. And Mitchell Breen, we have a, a, just a powerful opportunity and really responsibility to do that. And so that's why I wanted to look at this passage today. It's an important one. So would you just bow with me and let's say a word of prayer as we dig into this. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Um, you really have given us instructions as to how we should live, what you expect of us. And Father, I pray as we look at this passage today, we look at these three key elements from this passage, that you would uh, press them into our hearts, into our minds. Father, allow us to understand maybe and see through the power of your spirit areas where we need to maybe make some adjustments where we can maybe, maybe we need to course correct a little bit. Father, we just want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to help people see who you are. So I pray that you would guide us and lead us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're in Micah 6, 8, and we just read that verse, um, as we explore what God wants from us, we come in this passage to the first, the first command or the first instruction in Micah 6, 8, which from God, which is to do what is right. Do what is right. Um, Proverbs 21, 3 says this, the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. The idea of righteousness or, or excuse me, justice in this passage, it's called doing what's right here, translated in other, uh, other um, translations of the Bible. It says to act justly or do justly. We've got to understand in this context, really what it's talking about is our relationship with other people. 
How do we interact with them? How do we treat them? Are we doing what's right when it comes to our interactions with others? This is really the core of what God's getting at in this passage. And we see in Proverbs that God cares a lot about how we behave, how we act towards others. Um, you know, he, he cares a great deal about us, uh, about it, and how, how that's working in our lives. Uh, God wants us to look around as we're going through our lives and look out for the weak, for those that don't have protectors. They don't have people looking out for them. We need to become an advocate for those people. We need to look out for those people around us in the world. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. God wants us to see those that need, uh, need some help and do what's right towards them as we go through this life. Our spirit, as our spiritual father, creator God, cares a lot about us doing the right thing. Kind of above uh, a lot of other things. As we're interacting on this world, as we're, he wants to make sure that we're playing nice together, right? I know in my home, uh, this was a big deal, right? My parents wanted to know that I was doing what was right. As I raised kids, I remember the first time I sent my oldest daughter off to do a sleepover. I was like, mm, come on, Jessica. Like, you've been raised right. You need to go over there and show, like, act like you've been raised right. Do the right thing, right? We care about this, and we want our kids to do the right thing. But, uh, you know, we might ask the question, well, what does it look like to do the right thing? What does that mean, Pastor? And so I thought, listen, let's just hit something this morning that's one of the most basic uh, beginning points of how we should behave that the Bible contains. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, and it's called the Ten Commandments. You may have heard of it. Ten Commandments, right? This is a base level of living. It's like God goes, all right, here's the base level, all right? I expect everyone to live to this level. And so it's a great place to start. It's a simple place to start. You may go, hey, I've heard those before. Are we going to review that again? Uh, listen, it's a good idea to review the basics. It's a good idea to review the basics. And so um, let's look at this this morning. I'm going to read through these. If you, if you want to turn to Exodus 20, you can. But I'm just going to go through these real quickly. First commandment. Don't worship any other gods. Don't worship any other gods. My translation of that or explanation of that is don't give your devotion to anything else. Don't give the devotion of your heart. St. Augustine, an ancient old guy that wrote... Uh, wrote some profound works for the early church, said that we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. He recognized that we have a need to worship someone or something, and we're gonna. There's a lot of people think, ah, no, I don't need to worship anything. That's ridiculous. That's for women and children, you know. Now, everyone worships something. You may not recognize it, but everyone worships something. Are you gonna worship yourself? Are you gonna worship your job and career? Are you gonna worship money? Like, what are you gonna put? What are you gonna give devotion to? And uh, the Ten Commandments, God says, no other gods before me. Number two, don't make any idols. Uh, you may say, Pastor, I haven't seen anybody with idols in a long time. I don't know if you know that, but nobody has idols. I, you know, I've run into uh, some in this country, people with idols in their homes. But I agree it's not very common. So let's say it this way. Don't place something in front of God in your life. Don't allow something to move in front of God in importance. Don't allow something to move in front of God in your, uh, in, you know, how you look towards it. You're, it's, it's all about um, keeping those priorities. And God says, don't make idols. Don't put something before me. Number three, don't misuse God's name. Heard it a long time ago. God's last, uh, God's last name isn't damn, right? 
Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that, but I did a long time ago. Stuck with me. Yeah, to listen to some people talk, you'd think that it was. Because those two words always go together. Um, you know, God's name is sacred and holy. He is a creator God above all the universe. He made us. He placed us here. He's responsible for our existence. Scripture says that he holds this together. This universe holds it together. And so he deserves and is worthy of respect and honor. You know, I, I realize a lot of people don't always realize it when they're misusing God's name. I think sometimes it creeps into our culture. Started seeing this on social media. OMG. OMG. Okay, you're misusing God's name. If you know what OMG means, it, it's not something you should be using. I saw people using it. I'm thinking, I don't know that you know what. I'm going to give you a pass. I don't know that you know what it means. But it's not right. That's a misuse of God's name. Are we being careful with God? Are we respecting him? Are we showing honor to our God? It's important. He says that we need to do that. Number four, the last one of these uh, commands that has to do with our relationship with God. This one says, um, set aside the Sabbath. Set aside the Sabbath. In other words, um, set aside a day in your week to honor God. Set aside a day where you're focused on him. And you say, Pastor, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Uh, Hold on a minute. The Sabbath is actually a universal principle. I mean, it spans time. It's not Old Testament, New Testament. It's something God built into creation. When he created the world, you remember this, God did just a little bit of work, right? I mean, I know you work hard, but God just did a little bit of work in six days, created the whole universe, uh, created life, put plants and animals on this planet, created man. And so uh, he had a big job uh, that he accomplished. But at the end of it, not because he was tired, but because he wanted to build into actually the flow of our lives and the flow of this uh, planet and this universe, a day of rest. And so he built it in. So I want to encourage you that God didn't make the Sabbath for him. He made the Sabbath for us. It really is so that we can get some rest and recharge. Uh, You know, your family will like you a lot better if you take a little break. You'll get along with your spouse a lot better if you take a little break. Um, your coworkers all of a sudden won't be these horrible, mean people that are always, you know, difficult. Sometimes others are difficult because we're stressed out and we're afraid and we're doing too much. And so God said, listen, take a day off, not just to rest, but to keep me in the focus of your minds. It's a challenge. I agree. I struggle with this too. I'm a pastor. Most of my life I work on Sundays. And then I get, I get into the flow of the week just like everyone else. Not like I go, oh yeah, I'll take Monday off. <laughs> I mean, that's a great theory. It's a great uh, idea that I've tried to live out, but Monday or whatever day. But it's hard to pull off sometimes, I know. But it's important that we take a Sabbath. All right, let's move on from the commands and the instructions about our relationship with God. And let's move on to the ones that affect our relationships with others. First one, uh, the fifth commandment says this, honor your parents. Honor your parents. Respect, obey, hold in high regard. This is what it means to honor. Uh, When you're living under your parents' authority, it's to obey. It's to show them respect. It's to treat them appropriately because of the position they're in. And when we move out and we're on our own, it's still to hold them in a high position and honor them. Show honor to them, right? And uh, now listen, I know that family is under attack in our country. The enemy would love nothing more than to destroy the family, uh, tear it down, because it is actually the structure that God put uh, all of civilization on, was a family. You know, when God created the world, he created people, he didn't create a government. 
<laughs> Did you notice that? He didn't create a government. He created a man and a woman, put them together and, uh, in a marriage covenant uh, so they could have children. And that family unit, as it grew, became the structure that the world, that all of civilization is based on. And so I know that the enemy would love nothing more than destroy the family. If he can break that down, he's broke down God's, uh, God's structure for civilization and for humans. And so it's under attack. And I know that much of that attack happens uh, in, um, or can happen, because I've talked to a lot of people who've had hurts and wounds from growing up in a home. They said, man, uh, pastor, I know the Bible says to honor my mom and dad, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they treated me. I got some deep wounds. I got some hurts. I got some resentment. I got some anger. So I understand that. And uh, you'll, you'll recognize that the, this command, God didn't put a qualifier in there. Like honor your father and mother if they're great parents. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said honor them, period. Why? Because it's important. They hold a position of importance in society and in your life for the structure to work, for civilization to work, for our lives to work. Now listen, uh, honoring someone, holding someone in a high position doesn't mean you're saying it's okay everything that you did. It's not an endorsement. I had great parents, man. Great parents in all sincerity. But they were not perfect. They're not here this service, so I can say that. No, they're, they're not perfect. Uh, as no parents are, but they tried hard and they did such a great job. But I know not everyone gets that uh, opportunity to grow up in that situation. But you can still honor them. You can still put them, hold them up because of the position they have. Something to think about, guys. I know some forgiveness might be required working through some issues. But it's so, so important for you not just for them, but for you, your heart, your soul. Are you moving through life in a healthy way? Have you uh, forgiven? Have you moved on from some of those issues? We need to honor our parents. Number six, that command says, don't commit murder. Do not maliciously take another's life. Number seven, don't have sex outside of marriage. Say, pastor, it says don't commit adultery. I said, I know says don't commit adultery. Uh, listen, at, adultery sex outside of marriage, but the point is that God, when he created humans, he put them in a marriage relationship immediately. That's where sex belongs. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of folks these days, and it's been this way for a long time, but it seems like it's growing. Hey, I'm not sure I want to get married, but let's live together. Well, pastor, it's too expensive not to. I mean, you don't know how can we make it. And, I mean, I hear all kinds of reasonings. It doesn't cause any harm. It won't damage us. What's the big deal? You're old-fashioned to say don't live together until you get married. Come on, man. You're living in the dark ages. You know, I've heard it all. Here's the deal. I just want to challenge you here. It's, it's in the Ten Commandments, all right? I mean, this is, this is ancient, yes, but it's also something that stood a test of time. There's a reason that God said back here, don't do this, when he gave a law to his people. Because it's harmful to you, it's harmful to the person that you're interacting with, and it's harmful to our world. Sometimes it's not just about me and you. Sometimes it's bigger than that when God asks us to do something. But we need to honor and respect what marriage is. We need to fight for that. And that requires sometimes we say no to stuff we really want to do. Look, just a a little hint. I know it's great. All right, I got married young. That's part, I mean, to be honest, that's part of the reason. All right, I know that sex is great. All right, but you got to hold off on it until the right time. Protect it. Realize that it's a gift from God. Uh, as we move on, don't steal. Don't take what is not yours. We've seen, and I'm telling you, in corporate America, American in general, this, you know, 
little theft, maybe a big theft. I need to get for me. I need, I'm working for this company. I know, but I need to get stuff for me because no one else is going to do that. We've just grown in this mindset mentality that we need to get. It's okay to take a little bit. Ah, oh, no one will notice. Listen, man, God said don't steal. It doesn't matter. He didn't say, well, I don't know, you know, uh, what, it, what it's going to be like for them in 2019. <laughs> so this only applies to people back, you know, um, when this was written thousands of years ago. I mean, God did know what we'd be facing. He knew what it'd be like for us. And when we allow ourselves to fall into that trap and we begin to do what everyone else is doing, hey, I'm going to get for myself, that's what begins to destroy our society. It erodes everything. We've got to stand up and live differently. We've got to say, I'm not going to take part in that. That's not what I do. The next one, number nine, says don't give false testimony. Just means don't lie about someone else. Don't say that someone did something they didn't do. Don't try to build a case against others that isn't accurate. Don't give false testimony. And number 10, do not envy what others have. How about just being thankful and grateful for what God's given you? Do you know happiness isn't tied to how much you have? Happiness is uh, really tied to being content with what you've been given, what you have. And you can find happiness. I've seen uh, people that had very little who were happy. I've seen people who had a lot who were happy. And I've seen the opposite. People that had, it seemed like they had the whole world, they get anything they want, it's still not happy. So um, try contentment. Something we all need to be reminded of. It's a challenge. Listen, if we're going to do what's right towards others, towards God, then obviously we need to start with, um, in a simple place, I think. It's a good reminder. I needed this this week. And I hope it's encouraging to you too. There was a businessman um, back in the day who was well known for his ruthlessness um, in business. And he announced one day to, John, uh, to Mark Twain, excuse me, he said, listen, Mark Twain, I got a, a great plan. I want to, before I die, I want to make a pilgrimage over to uh, Israel. I want to go to the Holy Land, and I want to go to the top of Mount Sinai, and I want to read the Ten Commandments aloud. And he just thought, man, this is such a great thing. And Mark Twain looked at him and said, you know, uh, I got another thought for you. You could just stay here in Boston and try living them out. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> yeah, I got a sense of humor. I know I got to get you up to speed with my jokes. But listen, uh, yeah, it's like that. You know, sometimes we have a grandiose idea when really what God is wanting from us is obedience. You know, as I was growing up in my parents' home, uh, you know, doing what was right mattered a lot. I never got in trouble because I didn't tell my parents I loved them. Never got in trouble for that. They probably wanted me to tell them I loved them. I'm sure it was important to them, but I never got in trouble for that. I did get in trouble when I didn't obey them, right? So uh, doing what's right towards others. Well, as we continue to move along in this passage, let's look at the second command or the second area that God is requiring from us. He wants us to live this out, and that is that he wants us to love mercy. Love mercy. As we interact with other people. Another way, really, the thought behind this might be captured in the words goodness and kindness. Goodness and kindness as we interact with others. Um, Galatians 5.22 is another famous passage. And these two traits are listed there. Goodness and kindness. Galatians 5.22 is the fruit of the Spirit. Scripture tells us that as the Spirit of God comes in us when we trust in Christ... That the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and dwell in us and convict us of sin, to uh, help us, to give us strength. There's a myriad of things that the Holy Spirit does. 
that the Spirit also produces fruit in our lives because of His presence. And so the fruit of the Spirit, which you've probably heard, is, is, says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, and then what? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love this last little bit that Paul puts in there. The Apostle Paul, he says, there's no law against these things. I think it's hilarious. It's like telling your kids, hey, <laughs> you can love your siblings all you want. Like, just do it all you want. I'll never get after you. There's no limit. You can just do all the kind things to your siblings that you want. That's kind of like what Paul's saying here. <laughs> There's no law against these things. They're good. You can do as much of it as you want. Um, anyway, maybe it's just pastor sense of humor, but I think it's funny. Hey, um, so, uh, you know, there's a story in the scriptures when Jesus walked the planet, uh, when he was here on the earth, he interacted with people. And you, know, you guys know, because you've probably heard this, as he walked around, he began to teach. He had a public ministry. It lasted about three years. And he would share with people. He would teach people. And they began to just flock around him. I mean, by the thousands, they wanted to hear what he had to say. It was so profound. It was so different than anything they'd heard, what the religious leaders of the day were teaching. And so, uh, of course, those leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, sort of the religious order, they didn't really like Jesus. I mean, for one reason, he didn't go to their school. You know, he didn't go through their program. He didn't have a degree from their uh, institute and training institute for religious studies. He uh, bypassed that, right? And so they didn't, they didn't care for him. They were also concerned and scared that he was leading the people astray. He was taking the people of Israel off track and that they were just following him because he was the exciting thing of the moment. And so they would challenge him at times. They would uh, come and, and, and try to trip him up so that the people would see, oh, he's really not that good or he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so this was one of the tactics they used. Well, one time, uh, the Bible tells us that there was a religious teacher. He was an expert in the law is what the scripture says. He came to Jesus, and in, in one of these moments, Jesus was teaching, and he thought, he, he brought a question to try to trip Jesus up, to see if he could mess him up in this moment. And the question he asked was, teacher, uh, this expert in the law, asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, great question, and Jesus said, well, um, you know, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it, expert in the law? And, and so uh, he said, well, uh, that's easy. I memorized that when I was a kid. Uh, the Bible says, love the Lord your God, or the, the Torah says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, good job. He heard something uh, that I never heard in school, which was correct, right answer, right? You got it correct. Seemed like I always had to go back and study more, but... Anyway, uh, this guy was right. He had listened in school. He had memorized the, the answers and he knew it. And so Jesus said, that's correct. You got it. Go live that out. And the guy goes, oh, oh hold on a minute. I got another question for you. The scripture says he did it because he wanted to justify his own behavior, his own actions. So he asked a follow-up question. Um, Jesus, who is my neighbor really? I, I know it says to love my neighbor as myself, but who does that really mean? So Jesus told a story. He said uh, there was a man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by some bandits or robbers. They attacked him. They uh, beat him up. They took all of his stuff. They, they stripped his clothes off, and they left him for dead on the side of the road. And he said, uh, then Jesus went on with his story. There was a priest that came by. And the priest, uh, who was a religious leader, just like the guy asking the question, by the way. Uh, a religious leader saw the man, and he just walked right on by him, didn't help. 
Then there was a, a temple helper or a, a temple assistant who was also uh, a very seriously devout person who had been doing the right thing, following the law. They walked by and they saw the person, they saw the man on the side of the road, kind of stooped over, looked at him for a minute, but then continued on their way, not doing anything to help. Then Jesus throws a twist in the story. He says, then there was a Samaritan that came along the path. And I'm sure you guys know that Samaritans and Jews did not get along because Samaritans represented uh, some sinful behavior from their, from their uh, relatives, from their um, ancestors. Because Samaritans were a mixed race, right? They were Gentile and Jew mixed. And God had said back in the day, I don't want you to intermingle and intermarry with other uh, people, with the, with the nations around you. I want you to be separate, set apart for me. And of course, their ancestors had not followed those rules. And so now they had the Samaritans and the Jews said, you guys can't come and worship with us. You're uh, ostracized. They looked down on them. They judged them. So this Samaritan man comes along and he sees the man wounded on the side of the road. And he stops, gets off his donkey. He kneels down next to the man. He takes wine and oil out of his packs. He, he puts it on his wounds. He treats the man's wounds. He wraps them in cloth. He takes the man and puts him on his donkey. And he, t- he uh, travels with him to the next, uh, to the, the closest hotel, you know, the closest inn. And he gets a room for him and, and he puts him up there and he gives the innkeeper some money. And he says, look, uh, you take care of this guy. Help him, nurse him back to health. And I'm going to come back and check on him. And if what I gave you wasn't enough, I'll give you more money. And then Jesus said to the teacher of the law, the expert, so which of the three was the real neighbor to the man? And the expert in the law said, an amazing line. He said, the one that showed him mercy. Jesus said, you're right. Now go and live that out. The one who showed him mercy. God wants us to treat each other mercifully, to be good and kind to each other. You might say to yourself, pastor, this sounds great. Sounds so good, but you don't know the world I live in. Like the guys I work with, the people I work with, it's cutthroat, man. And if I'm going to be this nice, kind, gentle person, I'm going to get steamrolled. And then what are you going to do for me? (laughs) Listen, I understand. And I'm not saying, and neither is God saying, that you need to be a softy. I'm not saying you need to be weak. Let people run over the top of you. That's not the point. I have seen, guys, when a a, a harsh uh, interaction with somebody, and it's returned by a kind word, I've seen it change the situation. If you haven't tried that and you don't believe me, you should try it sometime. You might get laughed at the first time. They may not think you're serious. (laughs) But it really does. It changes the situation. Listen, we're called to be different. You guys know this. We're called to be different. How are we making a difference in the world? Well, the um, the last command or instructive that God gives us in this passage, he gives to his people um, of how he wants them to live. What does he expect from them? is this one. He says, I want you to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Another way of saying this and understanding is to be humble as people, to be clear and pure before God. You know, humility is one of those traits. It's one of those traits. Uh, I've, I've heard people compliment someone else by saying, man, they're so humble, so great to be about around them. She's such a great uh, friend or, or coworker, man. She's just awesome. She's humble. It's just awesome. I've heard that a lot about people brought up. And yet, so, so humility is something we can recognize in others quickly. But it's also one of those traits that's difficult to recognize when there's a lack of it in ourselves. Like I could say, 
I think I'm pretty humble. And I've instantly said that I'm not very humble because if I think I'm very humble, isn't that kind of pride that, you know what I'm saying? Like it's hard to, to grapple with. And so it's important to get some help when it comes to humility. I think it's important to have somebody close around you that knows you well, that you're, you trust, that can say, hey, you're doing a good job in this area or you need some work. Um, because it is tough. It's tough to recognize. One of the reasons that humility is so important, there's a, there's a list I found online of biblical reasons, and they're all really good. And one of them that it pointed out, uh, biblical reasons to develop humility in our lives, is that humility is required to give and receive forgiveness. And it's interesting. You know, you really can't. Somebody might apologize to you. No. no. A lot of times pride is connected to that, right? If we're humble, we can receive it. And also, on the other side, asking for forgiveness and give, or, or receiving, having somebody say, I'll forgive you. It takes some humility to do that. <clears throat> In the Bible, I think one of the greatest examples, as we kind of wrap this up today, one of the greatest examples of humility, the kind of humility we need to have before God is found in the, in the life of King David. King David was the second king of the nation of Israel. You probably know a lot about him, and you probably know that there was, a, there was one instance in his life as a king where he got himself into trouble. He um, stayed back when the other men uh, and the, the soldiers went out to war. He stayed at home, and he was out on his roof one day, and he saw a woman bathing, and he was attracted to her sexually. He wanted, he wanted her, and so he had her brought to his room. He slept with her, and he got her pregnant. Now he had a problem. What am I going to do? So he brought the husband back from the battlefield. He said, listen, go sleep with your wife. He tried to hook it up. You know, he tried to orchestrate it, manipulate it so it would cover over his sin. And, uh, and Uriah the Hittite was the man, and he wouldn't do it. He said, no, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. My men are out on the, the battlefield. They don't get to do it. And so David couldn't orchestrate this. And so he sent orders actually with Uriah for the general uh, to put him on the front of the battle in the heat of the battle so he'd be killed. So here's King David, a man after God's own heart that commits great atrocity and sin before God. He seemed to not be aware of it. So God sent Nathan, a prophet, to confront him. And Nathan used a story, a story of a a wealthy man who had many sheep and herds of sheep and a poor man who just had one one lamb that he had raised uh, that ate from his table. It was like a pet. And, uh, And as Nathan told the story, he said the wealthy man had some friends coming over to visit, so he grabbed that one sheep from the poor man and he killed it and he fed it to his neighbors or to his, uh, to his guests. And of course, David was furious. Who did this? They deserve to die. I mean, he was angry instantly. And Nathan said, you're that guy, David. You had how many wives? How many concubines? Come on, man, you had to set up and you had to go steal Uriah's one wife? Really? And the reason it's a great example of humility is, is obviously sin is something we can all get caught in. We can all struggle with. We can all find ourselves in a situation where we've blown it. And David was no exception, but his response reflects humility. Um, He said in the end, uh, his response was, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And that was his response. And I wonder today, are you building that? Are you walking humbly with your God so that God could send someone to confront you to say, hey man, got an area of your life that's off. Are you walking with him? Are you, uh, are you interacting with God in that way? As we close this, Matthew 5, the first sermon that Jesus gave, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. I just thought it was interesting as I was studying this week and looking at this passage that Jesus himself teaches on these same three things in his first message, his first public sermon. 
If you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7, this is what they say. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Church, my prayer for you and my prayer for all of us, for myself, is that we would walk in such a way with God that the world around us, this region, the towns here, the people that we interact with, would say, man, those guys are different. They're doing something different. I think, I think it's almost like they really believe the Bible. It's almost like they really believe Jesus. They're trying to live this out. I know if we do that, as we grow in that, that the impact God will use us to have will be great. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the people that are here. Their, their um, <clears throat> commitment to you enough that they showed up today to worship and they wanted to be a part of this and they wanted to make sure that they heard from you. Father, I pray that you would continue to mold each one of us, myself, this church, that we would reflect you more and more, that we would be people that others can see you in us because of the way we live. God, thank you for this challenge this morning. I pray that we would grow in doing the right thing towards others, that we would grow in, um, in being good and kind to the people around us, to being merciful, and that we would uh, walk humbly with you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for coming and hope we'll see you again uh, next week.